welcome to the Shiny New Object Podcast. My name is Tom Ollerton and this is a show about the future of marketing. Every week I have the pleasure and the privilege to interview someone influential or exciting or all of those things from the industry and this week is no different. I'm sat here with Craig Fenton who is Director of Strategy and Operations at Google. Uh, we were introduced by Dan Brain uh, at Madfest, as madfestlondon.com, and you, you spoke at his... Uh, I did, at, yeah, I did a keynote uh, at his conference, his first conference, in uh, fact, the what, Truman Brewery. For people who don't know who you are or what you do, could you tell the audience? Yeah, sure. So, um, Craig, I lead strategy and operations for Google's business in the UK and Ireland. And what that means is kind of what it says. I have the job of defining the plan for the business along with the, the leadership team, uh, both a short-term, you know, next year sort of thing, as well as a longer-term plan, you know, how that business develops and evolves over time. And then the operations part of it is then uh, making the decisions to uh, needed to execute against that plan. Things like headcount allocations, how we set up and organise ourselves to address the opportunity Uh, how we measure success, we call those OKRs, objectives and key results, most people call them KPIs, uh, and so on. So interesting you you say that actually, because I'm trying to put OKRs into our business at the moment, and uh, and one significant member of the team is just like, I'm not effing doing it, because it's a nightmare. Um, Because I think uh, somewhere where she worked was just like, it was a disaster, because... Uh, people would compete with OKRs. They would have sort of different. Oh, um, right. You know, I'm not doing your OKR because I'm only getting bonus on my OKR. Yeah. But I like to think it's more sophisticated than that. Well, I think it is. I mean, I think you've got to start by pondering what the alternative is. Is it the absence of objectives? Well, this this was my point. I'll, I might get you in for half a day's uh, I'd be very happy to do that. <laughs> anyway, less of my uh, work gripes and more about you. So we're going to ask you some getting to know you questions. This is customer on the podcast. So. What is the thing that you've spent your own money on, not expense, not craftily put through the books, but your own hard-earned <laughs> cash? What's the thing that you spent your own money on that you've found incredibly useful for work? It's a, it's a great question. I had me thinking deeply about this, and I'd have to say my Brompton bike. I have a little folding bike, and I try to ride in every day. I, I only don't do that if I'm travelling or something something else. So it's about a 27-minute ride. About. I say about, minutes. but it's actually 27 minutes and 34 seconds, right. depending on the uh, on the lights. And I think the... I love my Brompton bike. It's a great... I think it's a great British brand. And as I was thinking about this beforehand, I sort of looked into this a bit further, and here are some fun facts for you. Okay, yeah. <laughs> the design hasn't really changed in 40 years since it was designed uh, in, a, in a bedroom uh, overlooking the Brompton, I think, uh, uh, in South Ken. Uh, it's hand-built. I think the technical term is brazed. It's the process by which they put their b- the bars up. Look, I have. You know, when I look into going. something, I look into something. You know? <laughs> hand-built in London. And 10 years ago, the company passed one million pounds of sales, and they celebrated with the employees uh, by rewarding them with fish and chips. And I think that's just a fantastic 
little story. Uh, today, of course, there are that ten. Was the ten bonus. That was the bonus. That was the bonus. <laughs> Did they get like and a pickled egg with that as well? Well, mm-hmm. I, I hope so. You know, what, what <laughs> better way to celebrate British success than fish and chips? And today, of course, it's a ten million pound global company and quite a sought after brand. So. That so in near our office in, in Leighton, which is the, the new East London or the real East London, as I like to call it, they have a Brompton bending machine. Do they? Yeah, and no one ever uses it. And I've seen it, I thought, oh, well, you know, I, I, well, I skateboard. Does it cost a thousand pounds to use it? Um, I don't know, but it, like, it presumably must be jammed full of Bromptons. And I, that you borrow or buy? No, you buy them. It's a kind of oh, wow. a really fancy Boris bike yeah, scheme. But it just now looks a bit jaded and deflated. I'm, I'm not sure quite how that works but anyway so it's an interesting um, experiment so you uh, so do you on that cycle to work do you listen to anything or are you just let the sound of traffic and the birds you'll love this do you know what I was listening to this morning tell, tell me what you're listening to I was listening to one of your podcasts right and it did uh, <laughs> thank you very much thanks for the plug and is that a regular thing to listen to podcasts as you I do sometimes it depends on what sort of day I've got ahead if I feel like a a cerebral uh, piece of exercise where I'm actually sort of taking in ideas. I'll listen to a podcast. I might listen to an audio book, right? As well. And, and any tips on audio books? Audio books. Gosh, uh, look, I I'm reading at the moment. Actually, reading not ta- not the audio book, The Joy of Work by Bruce Daisley, who's been one of your former guests. Indeed, yeah. I, and I haven't read it yet. Sorry, Bruce. What are the what are the takeouts from that? Oh, lots of lots of takeouts. I think Bruce has got some just very sensible ideas about what productivity in the modern workplace looks like and does not look uh, look like. So the prodigious use of email that we have these days, which I think confuses activity with progress. Uh, the uh, so as a as a chap who works for a company that has a significant email product, what what is your attitude to email? How do you master that as a medium I dislike email I, I I find it well I think it's let me be more sophisticated with the response email is a wonderfully instantaneous form of communications that you can batch process you don't have to it's not like instant messenger for example a ping you know that you need to respond to straight away or a phone call so it has that advantage it, it conveys information in, a, in an efficient way but I think our use of email has spun out of control. And you know, this uh, tendency that I think everyone would recognize that you need to CC the world and have massively long things that take ages to read uh, that don't frankly sort of push you much further ahead. I think a lot of things that can and should be done in business should be done face to face. Mm. Or through uh, through a more personal uh, personal interaction. So Bruce talks about that. He talks about the you know how to organise and, and run a, a good meeting. He talks about both the benefit of collaboration that we see in lots of open plan environments, and I certainly believe that's true. But it's also true that we need to have concentrated, focused spells of work where you just need to put the the head cans on, you know, and go heads down. Into into monk mode and get some thinking done. Um, so so in terms of 
that's a kind of a useful thing that you brought with the Brompton and that's interesting to get some insight into you know, how you work and how you prep each day. But in terms of other investments that you've made in your career, in terms of time and energy, what, what are the best things that you've done that you can look back on and think that was a great idea? Career-wise, you know, I did, I, I did a, a post on this not so long ago on, on LinkedIn. Um, we would all like and probably can look back on our career and describe it as a carefully curated, well-planned and surgically executed series of steps, uh, one leading to the next, uh, always uh, with the, uh, the end in mind. And, and in my case, at least, that's complete nonsense. I would describe my, uh, my career more like a stochastic walk, uh, a uh, collection of random choices opportunistic decisions, luck, timing. Uh, if there's any common theme, uh, you know, if there's a golden thread that links it all, it's that I've been fairly consistent in choosing to do only things that I really love doing. So I've known myself, if you like, you know, I've, I, I have a, a passion for things and I tend to do a job as long as it, uh, I find it interesting. I'm learning and stretching myself and I leave it uh, when those things aren't true anymore, even if it's within the same company, sort of changing, changing a role. Can so, I ask you to tell me an example of that when you felt you'd come to the end of a learning and stretching period, and you thought now is the time to move on? Because I, I think that makes a lot of sense. But I, I just, do you have a story or a yeah, so anecdote? Well, probably, probably yeah. Okay. Uh, I, you know, I had a long. Uh, period of, of time working with a company called Accenture, a management consulting company. That, I wasn't a consultant myself. I, I ran sales for that organization across um, Europe, Africa, Latin America, and the Middle East. So it's a, more of a sort of deal-based based job that I did. And, you know, I don't have enough words to describe how positive that experience was. You know, it's a great company and, and still is. However, I felt I'd reached a point where my mastery of what I was doing had increased to a level where my learning curve started flattening. And I'm the sort of person who likes to be uncomfortable, comfortably uncomfortable. So as they, they had offered me a global role, which was a fantastic role. Had I had my choice of roles within, uh, within Accenture at that time, it probably would have been that one. But instead of rushing towards it, I took a step back and I uh, reflected on you know, what really interested me and, uh, and you know, had a period of sort of introspection, I guess. And I wrote a, um, a list of companies that might serve that passion uh, alongside Accenture. You know, alternative options, if you like. I think the list had about two or three names on it, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I I literally googled who runs Google because I didn't know. Right. And I contacted them, and you know he's a great colleague and friend today, Matt Britton. Uh, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I, I have um, a, I, I really admire um, Matt because I saw him speak at a conference I think still runs called IAB Engage. Yep. And it was Google Glass. Oh yeah. Like, you know, it would 
sort of being released. It was like you, you couldn't even get your hands on it. it was, and um, and he did a demo on stage. And, and it, and it, yeah, <laughs> uh, I did eventually, um, but it didn't work. It just it didn't work. And I yeah. just thought, if you can't get this to work with all of Google's resources, um, like you know. It, what's going on here but he dealt with it in front of like probably a thousand people 800 people and I and I just thought he, he just went right that's not going to work but he, he didn't miss a beat he just kept on going and he does this and this is the sort of vision of the future and I've, I've never met him but I just I will, I will always it? always remember that because even though it went wrong I, re, I was more impressed by him than how he handled it yeah, yeah. than anyone else I saw on that well he's a, he's a master at that sort of stuff and he's a very humble guy yes and that's why it worked, I think. Right, and uh, you know, very comfortable in his own skin, and I think we all learn a lot from his uh, his visionary uh, leadership. There's a there's an interesting. Can I go off on a tangent and tell you a story about uh, of course, yeah, Google please. Glass? Yeah. yeah. So we we love our failures. Uh, we celebrate them, and I think it's fair to say that Google Glass was one of those. It's actually still around, but it's uh, applied it's more in uh, yeah, yeah more in an industrial application, and a lot of the technology that was developed at the time uh, is showing up in, in different products. So with every uh, failure, there are a golden nuggets nuggets of, of learning and of um, pieces that you harvest out, and, and and they live on in some different guise. But what we got wrong there in its sort of consumer manifestation was the user interface and, and the social part of, of that tool. You know what they uh, used to call people who wore Google glasses? I'm not going to say it, but you can say it. Glass holes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think it's a great example. What was the question? You, you said what was the best investment of time, energy and money <laughs> Sorry, in my career? My, my, my crisp answer to that <laughs> is, circling back to it, is indulging my curiosity and fo following my passion. And, uh, and that's what led me to the role that I'm in today. And I truly believe, you know, this is, you've got a digital theme to your, your podcast, so let me at least say one thing about technology, that the technology that we have, these platforms, many of which are Google platforms, but there are many others uh, who have uh, fantastic uh, platforms in the industry, are a great democratizer, right? So take YouTube as an example. YouTube doesn't care who you are, where you're from, uh, how much money you've got, which school you went to, uh, what you believe in, who you, who you love, etc. Uh, if you've got talent, an idea, and a smartphone, you can find a, a platform and you can find your voice. So it's a great democratizer, and that's something I'm really passionate about as a, uh, a, a small town Kiwi boy who moved to the UK 21 years ago. I've yeah. got a really, really tough YouTube question okay. for you. It's okay. not political, All right. just a tough one. Right. Okay. So imagine you lost your job yeah. and you couldn't do what you do. You couldn't work in marketing, you couldn't work in operations, you couldn't, like, you just, for, not for a bad reason, you just couldn't for the sake of this question. And you had to be a creator on YouTube and you had to make bank the following month. What would you do? Gosh, that's a great question. I'd probably, try to talk about things that I truly believe are interesting, you know, that I'm, I'm, I'm passionate and authentically interested in. And 
you know, the market would, uh, the, the viewers, the users of the platform would uh, soon signal to me yeah. whether they were also <laughs> interested in that or not. I don't think it's probably a, not. I think why it's so interesting as a platform and sort of digital and social in general is that, and I, in the previous life, my, I was a musician, that was my career. Oh, yeah. Very, very okay. unsuccessful, yeah. uh, you know, uh, uh, unfortunately. But the only data we ever had was like what our girlfriends said to us after the gig. You know, right, like, yeah, there'd yeah. be no one in the audience, yeah. but yet, oh, what do you think of that? It's, She'd be like, oh, you're amazing. But, and, you know, no one was interested and talked all the way through. Yeah. And so it's very, like, very easy to ignore the data and just listen to the, you know, the vanity metrics, which was your partner. Whereas now, you know, you stick a tune on YouTube yeah. or Spotify or wherever, it's, it's, it's unequivocal whether people like it or not. Oh, absolutely. And uh, there, are, there are many artists uh, who, who, were, uh, who were launched that way and, and, and continue to be. So I think it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a platform that has spawned a, a Cambrian explosion of creativity. And a lot of that is in music. Uh, Stormzy's a fantastic example. Stormzy's real name is Michael. Michael's a kid who grew up in a council block in Croydon uh, with a dream, uh, a dream to tell his story in a creative way, and and uh, and he's uh, brilliant, brilliantly good at doing that. And he found his his voice and his way using YouTube and other platforms like it. So I don't know how much you have to do with the younger generation, and um, but you've achieved a lot, a very powerful position. But what advice would you give to a uh, a young student? Assuming they were driven, assuming that they were passionate and had to do all the kind of things, you know, table stakes. Yeah. Like, what would be your advice to get into this industry? Well, it's a very pertinent question. I've got a 17-year-old and a 14-year-old. Oh, they, they don't tend to ask me for advice, funnily enough. <laughs> but those who do, I'd say, you know, the headline would be, be curious. You know, really, really know yourself and follow your passion and be curious with that passion. It'll lead you to wonderful... Uh, in interesting places. Can I, can I push you on that? Because I think curiosity is a word that comes up a lot on this podcast when I ask people that question. But like, what do you mean about that? Because being curious on YouTube could be like, oh my god, like it's uh, you know, it's uh, listen to all of Let It Be backwards or whatever, you know, like, yeah. and you can just go down that like rabbit hole. That right. that's a form of curiosity. But yeah. but if there's a younger person listening to this podcast and they might think, oh, I'll, I'll be really curious. Can you be, be specific about what you would, how, you, how you would know a curious person that you interviewed, for example? Well, I think, I think all people innately are curious. You know, that's, if you think about, you know, early childhood, that's how we learn, isn't it? We experiment. We, you know, before we can talk, we put things into our mouth and, you know, uh, that's sometimes a good good way to find out and sometimes not. Uh, I think my son when he was very small uh, was curious about a worm and decided to eat one right. and found out well he knows they're, that they're not very nice tasting. Yeah. Uh, so he was curious in that sense. So I think everyone's sort of innately curious and I, I think it's super important to hang on to that and ensure it's a lifelong quality. And how, do you, how do you do that yourself though? How do well you... so I uh, I have topics uh, that I'm interested in. I, I read voraciously. I try to. I try to meet at least one new person a week, and I listen uh, a lot. And how do you, sorry, this is so inter interesting, but how do, you, how do you engineer meeting a new person every week? Well, you, is there a brief? Do you go no. to PA and go, can you get me no. a, like, Give me a, a new a person, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, no, not at all. I, I, I'm a big fan and a big user of LinkedIn. Uh, I use that for as a professional network. I, I keep my um, my private social uh, separate from my professional social, if you like. And I'm very fortunate to meet a lot of people through LinkedIn, most of whom will come to me, and occasionally I'll I'll contact him, and, and that's uh, them, and, and and that's the nature of LinkedIn, isn't it? It's uh, it's a network. So who have you met through LinkedIn recently? Oh, you, you were like, I'm so glad uh, that person reached out. Because you must get a lot. You must have. There must be quite a lot of volume to get through. Yeah. Well, some geezer doing a podcast or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a, a lot. I, I met a young, a young fellow the other day who I say young. So everything's relative, right? Yeah, He's probably yeah. in his mid twenties. <laughs> who said, "Look, I'm, I'm in marketing, uh, and I've got some, some thoughts about where my career might go from here. It'd be great to have a coffee." So I said, "Sure, let's have a coffee." And he came in here. And we had a coffee. And this guy, his name's Gabriel, uh, super interesting guy. He had gone through not, this was probably his third career. His first career, he was a British sprinter. And he damaged his back, recovered from that. This is the very truncated story. And then uh, became very successful in, I think it's 110 meter hurdles. What an inspiring story. Yeah, this is a this is a guy who certainly had a curiosity and a passion in this case for athletics. He had a natural ability. He had some hardship. Lesser people would have given up. He didn't. He kept on going, and that really demonstrated a uh, a, a perseverance and a tenacity and a talent and an energy that I thought was very inspirational. So I found the the talk with him very inspirational. And hopefully what, what we then discussed about marketing and where he might take his career was useful to him as well. And we're actually ca- going to catch up a, again soon. I've, I've met uh, Academy Award winners. I've met uh, people in the music industry. Uh, I've met lots of people who have got early stage startups who are um, you know, spending every waking moment thinking about how to scale the business and stay on top of the cash flow while they're doing it. And I, I find inspiration and, and learning from all of these interactions. So I, th- I think that's an example of being curious. I try to meet at least one new person a week. I'm lucky to have a reasonably good flow of requests yeah. for coffee. If I accepted all of them, I'd do nothing other than drink right. coffee, and I'd probably be bouncing off the walls, and I wouldn't have a job because no, I wouldn't I, have time. I heard on the news this morning that actually no amount of coffee is bad for you. Is that Apparently, right? Yeah, the Perfect. Okay, well, maybe I should just uh, focus on that full time. And I think the other thing I'd say to young people in, in, in exercising their curiosity is to stay irreverent. Irreverent. Never underestimate the advantage of naivety because you ask the silly questions and so many things in business are done in a way that represents more inertia uh, than uh, than logic and the market moves so rapidly you've just got to stay irreverent and question everything all of the time uh, and that's an exercise if you think about it in curiosity as well, well why do we do it like that and isn't there a better way? And I think that just needs to be a perennial question. So that leads us nicely on to your shiny new object. Okay. Can you tell us what that is? Yeah, so my shiny new object, you probably expected me to talk about uh, 
technology, and it's not technology at all. It's social mobility. And what I mean by that, if I sort of frame it, you can frame it in a business context, you can frame it in a more societal context. In a business context, it's about tapping in to that talent that's locked up in the iceberg beneath the surface, hiring from the other side of the tracks and giving people opportunities that perhaps haven't enjoyed the sort of privilege that you and I have. And I think that's also obviously got a social uh, good to it uh, as well. But I think uh, p particularly in the sort of current environment of uncertainty and particularly as our world moves ever more faster and change becomes constant, the diversity of talent that we have is something that's going to give an organisation, whether it's for-profit or not-for-profit, superpowers. And to be best in class there, we must, must, must tap into the, the talent that sits on the other side of the tracks, so to speak. How do you do that? Well, I think it's it's hard. It takes a little bit more effort, you know. So, like like many probably listening to this podcast, we get a lot of CVs coming through. The CVs tend to tend to be people who who on paper look fantastic and and usually are. You know, they've been to great universities and they've done all sorts of very interesting things, and it's all very impressive, uh, etc. But uh, we've got to remember that 30% in this country, more or less, depending on which, um, which part of the UK you're looking at, 30% only go to university. Now, that means, if my maths is right, 70% don't. My hypothesis is that all of the talent is not locked up in that 30% that do. So, if you follow me through on this, I believe... Uh, talent and uh, ability is innate. I think it's reasonably evenly spread, uh, but it's uh, it's the the opportunity is not distributed evenly. So, if we're to access the majority of talent in the society, we need to look at unconventional sources for that. We need to look at populations of people who don't grow up in these fortunate bubbles that many of us have, in, uh, have, have enjoyed. And it's harder to, harder to get at them. I think you've got to uh, reach out. Uh, you've got, it's very tempting to say, look, this is, that's up to government, isn't it? Or that's up to social organisations or cha uh, charities or those communities. No, it's not. It's up to us. But we've got to we've got to make uh, an effort to do that. So there are various different ways, I think, of, of doing that. First of all, sourcing talent that comes from sources other than classical tertiary institutions. So we have three apprentice programs, for example, apprenticeships that are open to school leavers. Apprenticeship is becoming a, an increasingly popular uh, way of, of uh, taking on board talent. Uh, uh, from uh, from a different uh, sort of source, and I believe it's a really important uh, area of development. Internships, 
are another way of accessing talent. And I think there's no substitute for people like you and me actually getting on our bike, literally or figuratively, and going and visiting uh, schools, state schools, or uh, communities, uh, or youth centres, uh, and talking to people, reaching out and uh, making them aware that, that there is opportunity out there. And sometimes all that, all that these people uh, need, certainly the ones that I've met, is just a gentle, the, the most gentle of nudges. And, and to be shown that actually there is opportunity for them and they do have a place and, uh, and you just find remarkable, remarkable stories if you make the effort. Uh, so, you know, give me somebody who's been, whose character has been forged by the contours of a hard life, uh, who's demonstrated perseverance, persistence, and determination uh, to get their, their way through it. Give me somebody like that any day of the week. It'd be a brilliant person uh, to, to, to be on my team. Can you tell me a specific story, a specific case where you've, you've met someone who's been formed by the hard contours of life, as you nicely put it? Yeah, I'll um, give you a story. I, uh, uh, there's, a, there's a guy I met recently called Quasi Court. Quasi Court is an aspiring uh, British rap artist. And like so many, he grew up in uh, Mitcham, which is um, not far away from Croydon. Uh, he, had a, he was very fortunate to have a good, uh, good upbringing, you know, he had good parents, but they, they didn't have means, you know, they, they, they weren't uh, wealthy people. He was in um, state schools and he fell in and out with, with crowds that were, had sort of variously positive and, and negative influences, right, as, as, as many people do. And he, he's been in trouble before, so he's seen, uh, seen what it is to, uh, to, to make poor choices in his life. He has found it within himself to draw himself out of, out of that environment, and uh, he's, uh, he, he found God. You know, it's that, that's not my thing, but, you know, if he finds... Uh, solace and, and, and motivation there, that's great. And he starts every morning with affirmations about the positive things he's going to do uh, that day. He's actually very talented. He's a, he's a, he's a wonderful uh, rapper. You know, he, he can put a, uh, a set of very thoughtful lyrics over pretty much any beat that you give him. And he's got a big Instagram presence. He's uh, just released a new... Uh, a couple of tracks on uh, Black Box, which is a channel on YouTube for up-and-coming uh, rap artists. And I think he's just a great role model. Uh, my son sort of really lo loves that music. I like it as well. And I wanted to expose my son to somebody who I felt was a positive role model, and I think Quasi is a really positive role model. But for every Quasi who's super talented, there's 99 others who are also talented, but perhaps haven't had the, the breaks along the way. 
and I think it's down to all of us to to give them that opportunity. So, so it's great that you guys have like a school leavers a apprenticeship internship program. A lot of the people who listen to this podcast won't have the resources of a Google, and so if you if you were someone who was maybe working for a smaller brand or an agency, what are the things that you would suggest that they do to help tap into that 70% of the, you know, the, yeah. the iceberg of talent yeah. that you mentioned before? So work experience, uh, that doesn't cost any money. Lots of people are hungry for it. Nothing stopping anyone, no matter whether they're a one-person shop or a 100,000-person shop to... Can you do- do you have to pay for work experience? Isn't that, isn't that like, isn't that, do that for free, surely? Well, it's not, um, I mean, obviously you, you, need to, you need to operate within the law, and I'm yes. not suggesting that we, we uh, go and start employing people for, for no wages or below yes. minimum wage, obviously. Yeah. But, you know, kids at high school, uh, you know, part of their curriculum uh, is generally to go, go out there and, and have a look at what a modern workplace looks like and, yeah. and land on the ground. So I think that's something that's, uh, that has a two-way value that's important. There's an opportunity yeah. there. Uh, for small businesses, there's an opportunity to get involved in uh, charities. You know, most most uh, employees of businesses are motivated by making an impact in some way, and that impact doesn't doesn't sort of end at the door. You know, so uh, any number of charities would gladly accept uh, voluntary uh, contributions to uh, to causes that enable people to get in, involved and I think the other thing is anyone any one of us depending you know which is not dependent on where you work or who you come from can can be mentors whether that's a formal thing or, or not my experience with mentorship is a good mentorship is a two-way street you learn as much from your mentee as you do uh, or as they do hopefully uh, f- from you particularly if it's a cross-generational cross some sort of cross-pollination going on, cross-society, cross-function or whatever. So are you actively mentoring a handful of people or does that come under your meeting a new person every week type of thing? Uh, yes, uh, both. So, so both. I, I am an active uh, mentor. I, I work with an organisation, I'm an um, ambassador for an organisation called Big Youth Group, uh, run by a, uh, a guy called Jack Parsons. I think he's 25 now, grew up in Essex, and this is about um, providing uh, opportunities for, for young people, uh, and um, chaired by uh, the, the wonderful um, Mr. Paul Frampton, uh, who was the CEO of Harvest Media for a while, he's moved on to, to other things since then. So part of that role is, is mentorship. I've met a few people through that that I'm uh, in contact with, I've got another a uh, fellow that I meet frequently called Joe Binder, 23-year-old, founder, CEO of a, a social media uh, marketing company. Um, interesting guy. He's a YouTuber, actually. He built just a lifestyle channel uh, when he was at uh, school, at university, vlogging about his experience at this university and uh, following his trials and tribulations and travel and that sort of thing. Build, uh, I think he had 35,000 subscribers. Uh, and obviously learned a lot. It was the school of life and he's now applying that. So Joe's got a great little business that helps executives who are interested in building their professional uh, social uh, social footprint, if you, if, if you like. 
and, and many others. And, and in all cases, and I think this is particularly true, you know, I'm, a, I'm in my 40s, most of my mentees are in their 20s. Actually, I learn a whole lot from them as well. So what have you learned recently that surprised you? I learn a lot about what's interesting to the younger generation in terms of uh, entertainment, so music, for example, what, what, what they're listening to, what passes as entertainment. Come on, give me... That's a barbed comment. There you go. So well, pa me. What passes as entertainment yeah, is yeah. in the eye or the ear of the beholder, of Indeed. course. But it's uh, it's really interesting because sometimes you know I, I find I, I get introduced to something and I think well actually I quite like that too, and you wouldn't have discovered it had it not been from the person and I suppose that's how word of mouth uh, word of mouth works. So ASMR, have you heard of ASMR? Uh, yes, very familiar with right. the weird, we can, weird world. Can we do uh, some ASMR here? Yeah, you are. Yeah, 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 there you go. A little bit of uh, scratchiness yeah. on the microphone. And have you got into ASMR now? Have you? Um, have it's not. It's not really something that floats my boat. I was surprised. It's a. Uh, it's a genre, but it's a big thing. It's. Massive. It's a big thing. And I was. I was talking to, a, a guy the other day. Uh, actually, um, the Academy, the Oscar winner, a guy called Chris Munro. He's an Oscar-winning sound engineer. Uh, talking to him the other day, and he was telling me I was fascinated to learn more about his trade. He worked on Gravity. Works on. Um, I think he was on the Last Avengers, doing stuff with Marvel and. Uh, he was the first one to digitise the soundtrack of James Bond, the franchise. So he worked on, um, what was it, Tomorrow Never Dies, I think. Fascinating, fascinating guy. And he was interested in celebrating the, what he described as the below-the-line professions in movie-making, right? Lay people generally think, when they think, I'm a lay person, certainly in this, in this sphere, when I think of a movie, I think of the actors and I think of the director. I don't go much further than that. But yeah. actually, there's a whole <laughs> cacophony of professions that sit underneath that. There's sound engineering, there's costume design, there's special effects, there's, it's, you know, the list goes on. And Chris was interested in um, promoting and surfacing these as options that people otherwise probably wouldn't know about. And, and we, we were playing around with this idea, wouldn't it be great if we could have Chris talking to somebody who was an ASMR artist, because in a way, they're both sound professionals. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and yeah, and wouldn't that be an interesting sort of juxtaposition where they could learn one another's craft yeah. across that interesting divide and perhaps uh, see what magic results on it from it. So, uh, you know, that's the thing. I learned uh, the other day what a, uh, well, this has been around for a while, Super Selfie. Have you heard of Super Selfie? Okay, so it's a, an interesting set of typically dance moves that are performed rather frantically in a short space of time. Uh, there's, a, there's a guy called, I need to remember his name, Gabriel Luciano. Listeners, look him up on YouTube. And this was a Filipino dancer who was in his bedroom uh, filming himself doing these dance moves, transforming from a guy in a tuxedo into a Batman suit just beside his shoe, sh shoe shelf. Gosh, that's yeah. hard to say in his bedroom in the Philippines. And this became sort of this really curious, bizarre, wacky, out there thing, and it became a thing. It sort of went a bit viral. So much so that Beyonce noticed it and incorporated that style of dance in one of her tracks. I think it's called 7-Eleven. 
and she was nominated for an award for it and credited Gabrielle Luciano, <laughs> who was the super that, selfie yeah. Filipino dancer doing this on YouTube in his bedroom. Right, so this is this is brilliant. I'm going to tap you up for this stuff. I think I, will the internet ever stop making you feel weird? Because like you know, especially in our our line of work, you, know, you come across these things and you think, hey, it's more, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. I mean, I uh, yeah. I, there's there's just an unending about like the uh, slime. F- you come across this? The, the slime? Slime, just people making slime. Yeah, yeah. You know, okay. it's like, yeah. what? Like, Exploding things? Dropping. Exploding things. I think that's, that's always been an interest of, you know. Dropping balls off high places, that's a, that's a big thing. Yeah. Like, where does it go? Where did this, you know, extrapolate well, out? Hopefully um, it continues, you know. I think it's a, it's a wonderful celebration of human creativity, isn't it? And it's a, it's a really a mirror. The internet is nothing more than a mirror on what has always existed, but it's now more visible. People can find the, the information about this in helpful, surprising, and, and sometimes delightful ways. That is a beautiful place to leave it. Thank you so much, Craig. Um, I, I feel bad about saying this, but I always ask the guests on this show, how would you like people to get in touch with you? And it seems like you do this anyway. I'm kind of, I don't want to kind of jam your, uh, your inbox full, but you... You genuinely seem to be interested in meeting new people. So, if new people wanted to get in touch with you, how would you want them to I do definitely, that? Uh, through LinkedIn. So you can find me on LinkedIn, Craig Fenton on on LinkedIn. And any I, tips for people who write to you on LinkedIn? Be thoughtful. Uh, please be patient. I I get a tremendous number. I'm very lucky uh, to to get a lot of uh, requests. And as I said, I can't say yes to all of them. Uh, so uh, please be understanding if I can't, uh, but uh, but I'll try. And I'd really love to get a bit more of an insight into you know what makes you tick as an individual, right? So uh, meeting up for a coffee shouldn't just be a one-way street. It should be interesting, as interesting for me as it is as for the. Uh, for the other person or it might be only interesting for me depending on <laughs> depending on the meeting. Great, thank you so much. That was absolutely fantastic. My pleasure, Tom. Mm-hmm.